Hi, and welcome to The Lens. I'm Ryan Huber. This is episode three, which follows up our first two episodes examining the cases against Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. In episode one, we examined the case against Donald Trump, his character, his record, his policy positions, um, whether he's believable or not. We talked about him declaring that he would force troops to commit uh, war crimes by killing women and children. We talked about the fact that he would respond to other politicians' rhetoric by changing his policy positions dramatically. We talked about his uh, disparagement of various groups of people, his rhetoric, uh, how Bernie and I could not in good conscience uh, cast our vote for him. In week two, we turned our eyes to Hillary Clinton, to her past, her scandals, her inconsistencies, her personal ambition that seems to trump every other aspect of whatever job she's doing, her record as Secretary of State, which has been extremely, or was, extremely disappointing, the questions surrounding the Clinton Foundation, uh, money coming in, favors done to foreign actors and governments. There's so many questions with Hillary Clinton. Um, not just as conservatives, but as Americans that we have. And so we came to the conclusion uh, at the end of two weeks of podcasting that we could not in good conscience vote for either one of these candidates. These are historically bad candidates, historically unelectable, unpopular, um, uh, disqualified uh, for various reasons. And so we find ourself, uh, ourselves this week examining one Gary Earl Johnson, former Republican governor of New Mexico, and his running mate, William J. Weld. Um, William Weld is also a former Republican governor. They are the Libertarian nominees for president and vice president for the United States of America. Johnson is polling anywhere between 7 and 12%, hovering around 8% in the real clear politics average. Some polls, he's getting 10%. He's not even being included on all polls. He needs to be polling around 15% to be included in the presidential debates this fall, which Bernie and I, as you'll see, think is, is a good thing. We want to see someone who actually represents uh, small government and lean government ideas and uh, freedom-loving ideas. However, there are some problems with Johnson's candidacy for people who consider themselves conservatives and or Christians. So Bernie and I discussed that as well. Now, this is an impressive person, Gary Johnson. He did start and grow a company to become enormously successful. He did climb uh, ma the major mountains of the world, including uh, Mount Everest. He did uh, veto bad bills in New Mexico time and time again. He did win re-election. He's done some pretty impressive things. He is not a, an overly charismatic individual when you're watching him on, on, on television or hearing him on the radio. Um, he doesn't set people's hearts on fire like Barack Obama did in 2008. He is most certainly the person that Bernie and I would choose if, if forced to choose between Johnson, Clinton, and Trump. But we're going to get into the details. Bernie and I also take a few minutes to just really explain the difference between libertarianism and conserva conservatism and to, um, to really chart out the reasons why we're we consider ourselves more conservatives than libertarians uh, philosophically. So we hope you enjoy. Um, let's go.
Bernie, like we said in the introduction, Gary Johnson is a, is a fairly formidable politician, someone who has a, a pretty decent record. He's running again for the Libertarian uh, Party as the presidential nominee. What's your take? What's your read on him as a potential as a potential candidate that is angling for your vote as a disaffected conservative who will not vote for Donald Trump? Well, the first thing to note about Gary Johnson is that he does not excite. He's not a candidate that is electrifying. He is, uh, by some accounts, a boring speaker. Mm-hmm. And policy-wise, he also um, leaves a lot to be desired. I don't want to seem as though every time you and I uh, you know, turn on our microphones and, and get together and do an episode of The Lens, we're bashing some candidate or other. But there are some... Some legitimate gripes uh, conservatives and even libertarians can have with the uh, candidacy of Gary Johnson. All right. So maybe give me your top two or three things that you don't like about Johnson, and then I'll, I'll give you my pitch as uh, as if I'm a conservative trying to convince you to vote for him anyway. Okay. Well, there are some aspects to his libertarianism that uh, gravitate more toward the left libertarian aspect of the sort of the libertarian continuum, if you will, the libertarian spectrum. Libertarianism is as tough to pin down uh, as as any political ideology that there is. And it just so happens that Gary Johnson is not uh, someone that, uh, you know, conservatives can look at and say, you know, that's my kind of libertarian through and through. So a couple of the things that we can point out, Gary Johnson is, he is pro-choice. Mm-hmm. And so no rights assigned to pre-born human life. That's right. You can be a libertarian and feel that there are rights that the unborn have that cannot be violated in the same way that, you know, the harm principle, you know, defends any other person uh, from, from you know, having their rights violated. But he does not extend the rights to the unborn. He rather uh, extends rights to, you know, um, the woman's right to, to, to choose to terminate a pregnancy instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and other libertarians have uh, opted to to uphold the rights of the unborn. So on that point, he he fails. He's also uh, botched an opportunity to come out strongly in favor of religious liberty protections. And these there are... it is. That's the big one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the big one for, for conservatives yeah. looking for a third option. He, he went, he's gone after Mormons, like for being Mormon. He ha- and especially since the Mountain West is supposed to be where he can do the best, especially Utah, um, which seems to be wide open because they don't. It seems like people in Utah don't like Trump. They don't like Hillary. Um, but how exactly does he fail the religious liberty test for you? I want to mention that one interesting dynamic that possibly uh, could emerge here is, as you pointed out, you know, he's gone after certain groups. Evan McMullen is a Mormon, is he not? Yes, that that might be an interesting wedge between the two. Not that we would get bogged down into a theological debate, but it would be an interesting dynamic to see both of them debate, uh, seemingly angling for many conservatives' votes, and yet, uh, you know, quite at odds on 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 that very topic. I think Gary Johnson has had ample opportunities to come out and, uh, you know, uh, like a libertarian should, like Rand Paul has, uh, defend. Um, religious liberty from what seems like, you know, a stampede from many different corners. Mm-hmm. And he, instead, he's come out and, and, and talked about other aspects of the law that 
while good and you know in their own right uh, should not be able to trump uh you know the the freedoms that have been established ever since the first amendment with the establishment clause with the free exercise clause you know have have been and he's basically referred to some of that free exercise language as a slippery slope, right? Hasn't he said, well, you can't just have religious people running around violating other people's rights or denying them service. And from my reading of libertarianism, and I'm, I'm not a libertarian, I, um, there are certain things I admire about libertarians. Um, but it seems like one of the bedrock principles of libertarianism is that you can't force people to participate in things like you can't even like Rand Paul had to kind of shift on this. You can't even really force a business person to serve anybody. Right. That's right. Like, and, and it was Rand Paul's political ambitions that caused him to do an about face on this, but he was just being a consistent libertarian on this when he suggested that uh, aspects of the civil rights legislation that required you know, uh, public accommodations to uh, to have to you know uh, serve and, and and offer offer their goods and services to, to to people without being able to discriminate. You know, based on these these factors like race and religion and all the rest, uh, he he had to come out and say, well, you know, it's good that we have these in place because you know, on a libertarian reading from from a certain perspective, you shouldn't be forced as someone who owns a business to do anything you don't want to do, including even what, what you and I consider to be sort of morally extremely problematic um, to serve, to, to refuse service to someone just because you don't like the skin color they have. So that's yeah. right. Rand Paul had to come out and, 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 and change and shift on that precisely because politically it's explosive to, to, to say that, but that is sort of where libertarian leads. And here you have Gary Johnson, uh, you know, not not saying that at all, you know, coming from the different perspective of, mm-hmm. of, of, of allowing civil rights legislation to trump the religious liberty protection enshrined in the First Amendment. So, you know, one of the two is going to trump the other when, when push comes to shove in some of these cases. And we can come up with scenarios, both real and imagined, where one has to override the other. And it's clear where Gary Johnson lies. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Gary Johnson, just his kind of feel for, I know that this is kind of a somewhat ambiguous topic, but he feels like a cool kid libertarian. And by a cool kid libertarian, I mean the kind of libertarian that like goes to college campuses and identifies with all the Bernie bros out there. And indeed, that seems to be the population he's angling for, disaffected Democratic Bernie supporters who are extraordinarily hesitant to vote for their party's nominee. I think that's right. And notice um, his, uh, you can't you can't go a couple of articles in reading about Gary Johnson without the issue of marijuana coming up. Oh, yeah. It's interesting that uh, in the in the 60s and 70s, there were policy proposals for legalizing heroin from people on the libertarian side of things. Gary Johnson stops that marijuana. Adults, consenting adults should be able to do whatever they want. That's the libertarian line. If you want to be involved in prostitution, if it's your body, go for it. If you want to do heroin, you should be able to do it, and you shouldn't right. have the government breathing down your neck. And you notice that that's consistent because there's a principle that's being upheld, and no matter what the substance is, if you want to do something you know, with your body, you should be able to. Uh, but curiously, Gary Johnson stops at marijuana, mm-hmm. which, which begs the question, um, you know, why would a libertarian, someone who embraces the libertarian principle, 
of of upholding freedom above all other values uh, feel like you know someone isn't unable to to shroom on the weekends yeah. why would he stop at marijuana and and it, it is a democratic uh push at this point to you know to to go for legalization and all the rest but going beyond that might be a little bit toxic to the general public so he does seem to want to um to to have this mass appeal uh, and in fact they're more libertarian uh, you know, heavy candidates that the party could have gone with, but they chose someone who does have this ability to to sort of go mainstream with the libertarian libertarianism with a bit of a smile rather than some of the tougher mm-hmm. stuff like we should abolish driver's licenses kind of rhetoric that that you hear from some libertarians. Yeah, and I I think just even taking that a step further, you've seen his running mate is uh, is Bill Weld, the former governor of Massachusetts. Right. Now, what both of these men have in common is that they are socially progressive or liberal, if you whatever word you want to use. Right. Former Republican governors from blue or bluish states. Yeah. So their background is going to be a little bit different than your hardcore dyed in the wool libertarian. They're going to be a little bit more socially conscious in some ways, although they're going to be pro-economic activity, anti-regulation, and they both were, as governors, reliably pro-business, pro-growth, anti-tax, anti-regulation. So those are some of the things uh, that would be attractive to conservative, especially fiscal conservatives. That's right. Uh, You know, there are some aspects that would be appealing um, in a a Johnson um, presidency. he he does seem to have a long list of agencies that he would want to cut down to size. Uh, he would be pro, you know, growth, uh, you know, getting rid of, you know, the bloated bureaucracy that is, you know, the ever-expanding state. Aspects of that are certainly in place. Um, he, again, he doesn't have the full libertarian profile that a conservative would want to see, but but he's certainly an improvement over the the, the leading two candidates. And if it was something... And if it was a case in which I had to vote for for one of the three, I'd certainly cast my lot with uh, with Gary Johnson. So I want to yeah, make that sure. clear. Yeah, both of us, if we were in a room and we we pressed a button, and the next president of the United States was either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Gary Johnson, I don't think either you or I would hesitate. That's right. I think, I think we'd press the Johnson button pretty quickly. That's right. But and I want to say how cool it is, you know, the concept of a Johnson button. Yeah, so Johnson, I mean, I don't usually press the Johnson button, but if I have to, I will. <laughs> um, okay, so just zooming out just just a bit, uh, and I, and we could talk about this for hours, which we won't, but why are you, I'll ask you the question, then you can ask it back to me, why are you a conservative rather than a libertarian? In other words, if Gary Johnson was a consistent, reliable libertarian, let's say even he extended liberty to pre-born human life to the fetus. Taking that huge thing off the table. Why are you drawn more towards conservatism than libertarianism? So at times I feel like a conservatarian. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a helpful sort of word to, to indicate where my loyalties lie. Mm-hmm. Because there are, as you pointed out, a lot of things within libertarianism that are very alluring. Uh, you know, to, to someone like like me and you, uh, classical liberalism 
or the libertarian version that I can get down with uh, upheld liberty above all other values. So you can look at it in a, in a overly simplistic, but if you need a shorthand kind of helpful way, you can look at the difference between a progressive and, and the libertarian that I'm referring to. Uh, you know, by by looking at which of the two values, equality or liberty, that they prioritize mm -hmm. and emphasize. So a progressive is going to want equality and and push for it, and and anything that smacks of inequality is going to have to be addressed and countered. Mm -hmm. uh, a classical liberal or a libertarian is going to say, you know, liberty above all. Uh, equality is completely, you know, beside the point. We need to just be free, and we need to uphold freedom. There, there's a that strain of libertarianism, I, I feel like is a, is a very important one to preserve that mm -hmm. that that upholding of liberty. The problem is when that aspect of the libertarian ethos um, becomes closer to what sort of the the anarchist mm -hmm. vision of uh, of government, which is basically, you, you know. You know, perhaps either no government or the most minimal government you can ever think of. Uh, you know, people radically free, uh, and 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 it presupposes a sort of, it presupposes a couple of things. One, an, uh, an extremely atomized vision of human beings, even within yep. community, which I think, exactly. which I think is not accurate. Is it it, it's not accurate biblically, and it's not accurate sort of empirically from what we can tell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but but I also don't want to surrender what I believe to be the, the imperative that all that falls in all of us to to push for to argue for to want to uh, promote our deeply held ethical views and I think one of the things that anarchism or uh, an extremely minimalist state that libertarians sometimes argue for one of the things that that this allows is for any sort of moral view to find its way into the public square. You do you, I'm going to do me and never the twain shall meet. And we can't even sort of, uh, you know, talk about, you know, what's right or wrong in a, in a, in a public policy sort of way, because that's an infringement. I think that's too extreme. I think we don't need to surrender the ability to say, it's it would be wrong for people to do this. Therefore, let's have a policy against it. Mm -hmm. um, I understand that that can infringe potentially on people's freedom. If you want to live a certain way, you shouldn't be coerced into not living that way. But in certain in certain cases, maybe you should be. What are your thoughts on that? I'm going to give you my full pitch. And while I have been thinking about this, for some reason, the French Revolution keeps coming back into my mind. Mm -hmm. So bear with me. So, uh, liberté, égalité. These are the three values of the French Revolution, right? Liberty, equality, brotherhood. Mm -hmm. I think that you see you rightly diagnosed progressivism as prizing equality above all else. And libertarianism as prizing liberty above all else. And I would say that being a conservative means prizing both liberty and brotherhood. Um, that communal aspect. You talked about the atomization of the individual. But I would add another French word to my diagnosis. Naivete. Okay. And naivete means that you have a picture of the world that is not accurate because you're not taking seriously 
enough dark elements of the world. And I would say there is a naivete about the libertarian worldview. First, that you don't need a large, powerful military to protect you from bad actors. That would be something that I would challenge Rand Paul on, be something I would challenge Gary Johnson on even more. Second, that a person is an island and can survive on their own without brotherhood, without community. I think that's naive. I don't think that bears itself out in history or in empirical data or as you and I kind of ascribe to a a middle-of-the-road Christian orthodoxy. And I would say, finally, it's naive to think that the project of liberty can be sustained only using liberty. In other words, to treat liberty as a means, not an end. I believe that liberty is the result of other things the result of community, the result of culture, the result of hard work, the result of uh, mores and norms and uh, communities holding each other and other communities to certain standards. So for me, there is a naivete and a short-sightedness and and almost a uh, seeing, missing the forest for the trees when it comes to libertarianism. And that's why I'm not a libertarian. I would consider myself a conservatarian. alongside you and thanks Charles C.W. Cook for writing the book Conservatarian Manifesto. Come right. on the podcast. We'd love to have you. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my problem is that those three kinds of naivete. One is the national defense uh, naivete. The the second is the atomistic community naivete. And the third is like a historical fruits versus labor naivete, not realizing like, like a, uh, the Tocqueville realized that liberty is the result of a process and it needs to be sustained and it's sustained by things that conservatives value. And now, as we've seen in the last several decades with the expansion of his executive power, um, the sort of trampling over certain parts of the constitution, uh, freedom of speech being called into question because of identity politics and a host of other issues. Um, Liberty cannot sustain itself. It has to be sustained. It has to grow out of some ground, and that ground is not liberty itself. So that's my that's my problem. That's why I'm not a, a pure libertarian. Right. And I would add that a state is not incompatible with robust liberty, and in fact, it can strengthen and augment you know the, the liberty that you know that the individuals within that state uh, experience. Uh, I I don't believe that. Um, that the 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 libertarians who are so aghast at the size of our modern state are necessarily feeling as repressed as some of the rhetoric might suggest. You ask them, "What what's a liberty that that you don't have that you're clamoring for? You know that that you that you don't have." And and you can point to a lot of things with the way the current setup is, but it's just not the case that uh, you know consider a, a conservative ideal you know state. Um, it would be it, you'd find a lot of libertarians, even though you know they have strong rhetoric about how the, a conservative agenda fails to uphold liberty in its purest sense. Mm-hmm. They would be hard pressed to state what liberties would they miss out on, or not have, or have infringed uh, on on such a sort of a conservative approach rather than a pure, uh, a full blown libertarian approach. Uh, yeah, and I think you'd find those at the edges of personal libertine politics, whether it's prostitution, heavy drug use. Um, or just opposing the state 
in general, just saying, no, we shouldn't have licenses. We shouldn't have any regulations, you know, let people figure that out on their own. And once again, I would call that naivete. Yeah. So we've covered Clinton. We've covered Trump. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Gary Johnson. Um, we've both admitted forced to decide between the three of them. We would pick Johnson. He's trending at about 8% in the real clear politics average of polls. He's starting to be included in more polls. He, he's gotten 10 or 12% in some of them. And I wanted to kind of drop this on you. I don't think you've read this yet. But in the last day, Trump has been quoted by at least one newspaper as saying he's going to refuse to take the debate stage with Hillary Clinton if Gary Johnson's not included. Wow. That's big. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Like, like, what's your read on that? Just, just hearing that. Just, I didn't prep you on this. I just read it myself. What's your thought on Trump refusing or potentially refusing to debate Hillary Clinton without Gary Johnson there? Well, it's a, it's a maneuver on Trump's part. Um, yeah, he's certainly not doing it because he's a principled guy. <laughs> he's I think, not doing Gary a solid. I think the more people on stage, the better for Trump. Mm -hmm. um, so, so any any move to get more people on there uh, would it be better. Perhaps not Evan McMullen, who would expose Trump as a fake conservative even more than mm -hmm. he's already exposed himself. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but yeah, having Gary Johnson up there would would deflect a little bit from Trump's, uh, you know, potential inability to to handle uh, some of you know Clinton's attacks on him. Gary Johnson could attack Clinton, you know, from the left in certain in certain respects. Uh, so, so that would, might be a positive for Trump. Um, I know there's the, the debate going on between, um, the debate about the debate, right? We're getting meta here, uh, mm -hmm. about when to have the debates between mm -hmm. how the, many, how many and when, of course we know, mm -hmm. f you know, from Debbie Wasserman Schultz's, uh, uh, performance as DNC chair, she, she was ousted in, in no small part due to her, her inept handling of you know, when they televised and scheduled debates, it just was transparently obvious that they were trying to bury Sanders with, with the choices they made. What were they having, Ryan? They were having debates on Saturday night. Yeah, um, they weren't, they were not well viewed. Right. They were not well viewed. They were torpedoed by the scheduling, uh, you know, apparatus that the DNC threw at it. Um, and, and I think there's been, that's sort of a version of that is carried over into how they're scheduling, you know, they're they're trying to schedule the Trump Clinton ones, right? Well, I mean, Clinton's yeah, Clinton's best strategy. Everybody knows it right now is do no press conferences, right? Stay out of the limelight. Don't say anything. Don't do anything because this guy Trump is going to self implode. He's going to self immolate. Right. That's right. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I certainly hope Gary Johnson takes the stage. Uh, I did say earlier. Wonderful. That he, I, he he's he's sort of. I I watched his interview with Chris Wallace. He can be a boring speaker, but I mm -hmm. think the ideas that he can put forward uh, are, are going to be interesting for, for other candidates to handle, especially if the moderators do their job of yep. approaching the, the main candidates with some of, some of Johnson's points and saying, what do you think about this? Johnson would like to get rid of no less than you know six to ten agencies. Why keep those in play if he feels like they, we, our government could function properly without them? And I would love to hear, yeah, you know, what the other two candidates in that moment have to say about that and other questions. Mm -hmm. And you and I will discuss this uh, this upstart, dark horse, no chance guy, Evan McMullen, in a future podcast episode. But but putting him to the side, 
Um, if someone calls me from a polling firm, and it's happened to me before, um, I will tell them I'm voting for Gary Johnson because I want him to get to that 15% threshold in enough polls to get on that stage. Okay. Period. All right. So that might not be who I end up voting for, but I cer- it certainly will be a less depressing fall for me if I can at least see one former Republican who's actually kind of a Republican on the stage. But you know what, Ryan? No one's going to call me. Yeah. That's because I have no landline. Right? I have a cell phone. They called me. I got called by a, like a Quinnipiac or someone uh, for the, for the, they're getting smart, Bernie. Wow. Okay. I didn't know they could do that. They're, they're starting to figure it out for somehow they got through to me. So I don't know if I didn't, maybe I didn't add myself to the do not call list appropriately, but I thought you were totally off the grid. Yeah. I'm living in a bunker right now. That's right. Your, your Y2K of... bunker still operational, is it? Exactly. I'm eating uh, gallon jugs of mayonnaise somewhere outside of San Bernardino. You've got the original Crystal Pepsi stockpile, don't you? Exactly. Yeah, I have the the real Crystal Pepsi, not this awesome. not this re- return. All right, well, that's all the time that, that we're going to have for this one. Uh, stay tuned next week. We're going to uh, talk more about the presidential race and, and some other interesting topics as well. Um, but for now, this has been Ryan and Bernie. And uh, you'll hear from us next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.